Welcome to The Concierge CPA. I'm Jackie Meyer, founder of the Concierge Accountant Program and Tax Plan IQ software. This is a podcast for accounting firm owners and influencers who are pursuing world-class service. We discuss their path to excellence, their daily habits, and what influences them and their work. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around till the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go, y'all. Welcome to the Concierge CPA Podcast. I'm Jackie Meyer. I have uh, what I call my frenemy, (laughs) Jason Stats on. I don't know. For some reason, I got really competitive with him for the first time that I met him uh, this summer at AICPA Engage. But I think we've come to a nice understanding, right? I guess we'll see at the end of this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Jason has had his own CPA firm that he purchased a few years ago. He's about to exit that firm and focus on his major stardom and celebrity online presence as a major influencer in the accounting industry. And so I want to hear all about that. But before we dive in, Jason, tell uh, our listeners a little bit more about you. Oh, I've been in public accounting, man, over 15 years now. Um, Got a firm in Oregon, a team of just over 40 people. I've got a whole bunch of really tiny kids. Um, uh, How many many really tiny kids? I've got a one-year-old, four-year-old, and five-year-old now. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. But I think most people know me from uh, the silly things I make on the internet. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, And so tell us a little bit more about this exit from your accounting firm. Um, So it's... I think, you know, what I arrived at, um, I produced a lot of content online. I've got a, uh, an online community for firm owners with like 270 firms in it now. And what I arrived at was just that running a firm was not the highest leverage way for me to do what I do. So um, I kind of got to this point of inevitability where, where for me, it felt like the right answer was doubling down more on, on video content, on the things I do in the community, which is more kind of a, kind of a, like being a leader to leader type of, type of thing. So I just kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, the firm was, the firm was 90% of my stressors in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just wanted to double down on those higher leverage, higher leverage things. Awesome. Yeah. I can totally identify with that. Um, I had a lot of stressors for my firm. We went through a ton of staffing issues over the last couple of years. And so um, I decided to let it go uh, just a couple months ago as well and focus more on just working with accountants because I mean, what's better and sexier than working with accountants, right? It is. You ever like look back and you're like, man, if your 15 year old self could see you now, like how unimpressed would they be? But I try not to think I about know. that. We're such losers. <laughs> no, I mean, it's all good. I, you know, I did acting and stuff in elementary school and then I started getting in so much trouble. I, I didn't really uh, stick with any hobbies or whatnot as a teenager. But I think it's kind of cool because I can still kind of bring some of that presence to the table through working with accountants and coaching accountants and stuff like that. 
and still have a lot of fun, even if it's not exciting and sexy to other people in ind industries, right? Yes, I think like the most isolated I ever felt in our profession was before I'd found Twitter and like made any friends that do the same thing online. So I honestly, the people putting out content, like the people engaging with other people online, like that's exactly what our profession needs to make this feel sustainable, I think. Yeah, for sure. Now, so why did you become an accountant? Yeah. Uh, why do any of us become accountants? Um, I was three years into a computer science degree uh, and got my first D and panicked uh, and thought, okay, what's the least, like, what's the smallest credit path to another degree. It was accounting. I got an internship that paid better than any of my buddies internships, like after junior year. And honestly, I still haven't found a way to leave. That's, that's about all the thinking that went into it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then you started out on the tax side, right? I did. I did. All I did was tax for the first eight years or so. Mm-hmm. And just really fond memories of that. I can tell just looking in your eyes. I wasn't like all that good of a tax preparer. And I don't know, like I had done it and was excited to move on to something else. I went back to graduate school and was thinking I'd probably leave the profession. And then with kind of some reflection, realized what a phenomenal opportunity, just that whole kind of outsourced managed accounting department type of service was. So I came back to the firm that I was at and I said, I want to build this. And we built that and it was really cool. And that's eventually the firm that I, I bought with a partner. And um, so, yeah, right. I would say my passion lies more in like the cast type of business than the tax stuff. But I, I mean, I still like this week, I'm still, you know, transitioning tax clients. So I never really totally managed to get myself out of it. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. And so, but you're kind of, I guess, getting into doing content and videos and stuff like that, you really focus a lot on automation, right? So no, <laughs> you look so confused. Much. I think I, no, I think I, like, I think I touch on basically anything and everything that goes into firm running. Um, I'm def, I was definitely like the tech guy from the beginning. Like the first kind of accountant facing thing I did was like an accounting tech newsletter. And honestly, like that's still the main crux of my weekly newsletter is tech stuff. Okay. But but honestly, like tech can absolutely be like the shiny object that's keeping you from having hard client conversations and making hard pricing changes and all that stuff. So I try not to just get pigeonholed in that because oftentimes the path to more sustainable firm running is some of those more squishy things. Okay, that's fair. All right. So um, here you are today and you have a pretty big Twitter following. What's your Twitter handle? JStatsCPA. With two A's. Two A's, yeah. Awesome. And then you also have been developing out this YouTube channel. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, it's kind of just a creative outlet to like, honestly, to make firm owners feel understood and like there's somebody else that understands the ridiculous things that they deal with every day with clients and all that. So it's everything from tech to like, you know, kind of getting over those mental hurdles for increasing pricing and client onboarding and just all the things that go into firm running. Um, myself, I love video production. I love comedy writing. And that's kind of an outlet to combine those two things and into something that uh, at least entertains and hopefully helps people sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you do. I mean, what are you growing it to at this point? 
How many people do you have so far? Oh, it's not very big. It's we just crossed 3000 subscribers. Um, but it's very, very niche. It's like, like nobody, like to give you perspective, nobody in my accounting firm watches my videos. I'm not mad about it. Uh, <laughs> but I think the people who it resonates with are like the decision makers, which is not all accountants. It's like the people who feel like they kind of have control over that within their firm. Like it's really geared toward that very specific person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. And so that's kind of what lights your fire is doing the production, the video stuff, um, not being pigeonholed into automation and tech. Got it. Got it. <laughs> All right. Um, now I always like to ask people what are kind of the top podcasts, uh, TEDx talks, books that you're like every accountant or entrepreneur needs to read as soon as they're done listening to this podcast. Um, probably the most, uh, transformative book for me was, uh, the one without pitching manifesto, uh, which isn't even really about accounting is recommended to me by my friend, Don Cooley. Um, it's written by Blair ends. It's, it's really just about like the developing the mindset of, of how do you run a professional services firm in a way that in a healthy way where you balance kind of advocating for yourself with, you know, doing what's best for the client and kind of how you find that happy equilibrium. I think most people in this profession start just with a pattern of being absolutely steamrolled by their clients and doing anything and everything that they want you to do. And, um, Honestly, I think some people never climb out of that hole and that's why it's really easy to burn out doing what we do. Mm -hmm. So if I had to put my finger on one thing, probably the win without pitching manifesto, there's a lot of like, you know, like your atomic habits and a lot of the stuff that I know a lot of people like that I have really enjoyed, but that was a big one for me. Okay. Um, what's something talking about kind of establishing boundaries, so to speak at your firm and that balance. What's something that you've done in your practice that you thought was really a good way to kind of stand up for yourself and, and make sure that you were taken care of along with the clients? Uh, when I read that book, uh, I immediately said, I took like our whole kind of our leadership team, the people that handle sales and onboarding. And I was like, we are all going to read this together now um, because I think it's the, there needed to be kind of a mindset transformation from kind of the traditional approach of like, trying to quote unquote win business and, you know, like doing, like, I, I think most people felt like because their job was sales, they needed to close sales when oftentimes that incentivizes like the very worst thing, like taking on stuff that you have no business taking on because good grief, like anybody that says they do accounting has access to more clients than they could ever help right now, but nobody is ever going to advocate for you, for what your prices should be, for the type of clients that you're a good fit for. So we went through that book and just kind of rethought what our sales process looks like and got more specific and 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 took an opportunity to get more on the same page about what a great fit for the firm looks like. Um, I think something I've struggled with that I think a lot of firm runners do is is the client that is great for you is not necessarily the client that's great for your business. Mm. And so a lot of us kind of still live in that, that lane where we were going from zero to one, trying to build your business and trying to find people that you could really help and you were great for. But then when you outgrow what just you can do, that doesn't mean that the rest of your team is necessarily going to be able to help that same type of client. So uh, it helped us 
just to kind of all get on the same page of what for where our business is today and all the people that we have, how do we make the most of of kind of our current circumstances and what client best aligns with that? Mm-hmm. Was that hard for your team to get on board with? No, I think more than anything else, it was kind of it was kind of uh, freeing uh, because they've they'd seen how painful the downstream effects of taking in the wrong type of client. Like they they have a very painful understanding of what that looks like. Um, and and a firm beyond a certain size, you know, so many of those issues just stem from alignment. The fact that, you know, one group wants this and another group wants that, and this may be best for one group and something totally different could be best for the other group. So uh, I think it was freeing to have a greater level of specificity around what we wanted to do uh, because it left less to the imagination, left kind of less for people to kind of make up the right answers for. So I think it was like that, that restriction, I think was, was a sort of freeing thing for people. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I just interviewed Brandon Hall and he was talking about this like kind of prequal process that he puts potential clients through using HubSpot forms. And at Meyer Tax, we've, we've had a prequal process for several years. For some reason, it's hard for a lot of accountants to adopt that. But um, what are some things that you tend to look for as in for a good or great fit for your firm? Yeah, um, Kelly Parks has some great content around this. She calls it her the, the five-star client profile. And I think the, the normal ones you think of are like industry and company size, and that's all fine. Uh, but it's also like something that's been helpful for us is like understanding what sort of technology they use in their business. Like if they're still a totally desktop-based business, um, that's, that can be hard for us to come in and help them because it's just a very different way of working than how we work. Mm -hmm. Something else we've tried to be really mindful of is, is in the nature of their business. Like we've had great luck with people who have businesses similar to ours, where they're the, they are constantly in, you know, email communication with their, their clients and stuff like that. Those are the people who have really good written communication, kind of understand like boundaries and scope and stuff like that. And so we've kind of tried to build that scoring system around what we've seen in our client base have been the most successful engagements um, based on kind of the demographics of obviously the company size, what sort of industry they're in, but technology, um, a great question that I stole from somebody at some point was is something along the lines of what do you look for in, a, in an advisor? And it's like a kind of a three, a spectrum of three different options with one end of the spectrum being like, I'm looking for a low cost solution versus kind of like, I'm willing to pay for the right solution for me. Sure. And that's been like the fastest way to just like kind of automatically throw out the tire kickers. Yeah. I love that. Like, are they going to understand a value proposition here or are they just going to overly focus on the cost and nothing else? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like the the most successful engagements we've had are with people who are on a similar journey to our own that like understand the squishiness of, of scope and like all of those things. Like when they understand that and can kind of understand the perspective that we're coming from, it doesn't feel quite as adversarial, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm wondering kind of what is behind the um, view here that everyone gets of your office. So where are you actually located and how did you get all this setup stuff done? 
I'm in a super dumpy room off of my garage. The previous <laughs> homeowner made tiny wooden dollhouses in this room. Oh, um, creepy. It's an itty bitty room, not much wider than my desk. I have a big old matte paper backdrop behind me, actually a number of backdrops. Um, so like, yeah, it's, it's like a it's very, it is a good enough studio. Like I've produced, I produced a commercial for LinkedIn this year. I produced a commercial for Zapier this year, like in this silly little studio. Um, my kids are taking naps right now when they're not, if they're on one side of the house, right above me, it gets real loud. So like, it's not impressive. Um, I don't know. I've like, I've got a little, I've done some content around like my video setup and that sort of thing. And I try to encourage people like not to overthink it. Uh, like there's a lot you can do with not very much, mm. but yeah, for me, like, it's just, it's this dumpy little room off the garage. I've got this heater right here because this time of year it gets cold as heck out here. Uh, but for now, that's all I got to roll with. Okay, cool. <clears throat> all right. So switching gears a little bit, I'm curious, uh, something that maybe a lot of people don't necessarily know about you or some kind of challenge that you've been through that you've kind of overcome in life and felt like you're a better person for it. Can you think of something like that that you could share? Um, yeah, I think um, uh, the biggest transformation for me the last 10 years has probably been like, coming of age in this profession with a group of people that you look up to who like are your superiors and you, you look up to them and you think that's where I want to be someday. Um, you know, super plugging into the Kool-Aid and, and their vision for the right way to run an accounting firm, for example, but then coming online and, and being exposed to hundreds of other firm owners and realizing like just how narrow of a perspective I think you have just coming up within a firm, especially coming up within a firm <clears throat> in a situation where what's in the best interest for you is not always going to be the same thing that's in the best interest for the firm that you're at. And so a lot of the things that you learn, if you're you know a senior in a firm or whatever, a lot of the things that you learn are learned through the filter of like what's going to put you on the path to be an asset to the firm, not necessarily what the best thing is going to be for you. Uh, so a hugely transformational thing for me was simply finding community online uh, where I learned like I could be the guy like in my garage doing something really cool and really novel and that I thought was really impressive. But like there is so much wasted time and effort that goes into that as opposed to finding your community of people who's doing the same thing and having permission to go out and talk with. 10 other people who tried the same thing as you mm -hmm. um, and just how much time and pain that cuts out of the process of like change management, like your change and practice management softwares did that five years ago, picked the wrong thing. And like two years later, we were back to square one. And we spent like a year on that. Mm -hmm. So like just the fact that like, there's a, there like all of the people listening to this podcast, we kind of do the same thing, but in a very, very siloed way. Right. So like, what is the optimal balance between spending time in community, like in adjacency with the other people that do the same thing that you do versus actually doing the thing? We spend all this time like creating everything ourselves from scratch and trying to figure out how to do all of this stuff, these things that have been done thousands of times before. And there's a ton of context and all of that. And every situation is a little different. But man, I never go out and like talk with people about a thing and then come back and think, ah, oh, that was a waste of time. Like it always adds some sort of seasoning to how you would make that decision. Yeah. 
And that's just such a fundamentally better way to run a firm and go about your career. And like, it's just like community has been such a huge change for me. Yeah, I've been, I was kind of thinking about that with conferences this year. Um, You just always start talking to someone about something so random that becomes so impactful and so helpful for your firm or for theirs that you wouldn't even necessarily do online. And so I'm not a big in-person person. I'm pretty introverted. But I realized the value of, you know, the conferences, I realized the value of communities, finding the right community for you. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, so what you've been hopping around to like a billion conferences this year. What's your favorite one? Oh, my favorite one. Um, I don't know. I think you kind of get different things out of different types of conferences. Um, I've run a zero firm for a long time. So zero con always holds a special place in my heart. And that's a it's a very ecosystem friendly conference. Like I feel like zero was always sort of ecosystem first and <laughs> I love tech. So like being able to hang with, you know, the people making cool new stuff is really fun. QuickBooks connect is super fun. They did a great job with connect this year. I love that it was purely an accountant oriented conference. Like that just completely changes the vibe and the type of vendors that turn up and all that. Um, Gusto Next was a lot of fun this year. And that was like a first year conference. That was kind of, it's fun to, it was fun to see them kind of put their own like very Gusto spin on an event like that. So I would probably say the the conferences from like the major accounting software vendors, like, because then you're getting great turnout from the tech partnership side and all of that. And those are probably my favorite. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I didn't, I'm a big fan of, Gusto, and I did not know about their conference this year, but I think my mentor, Misty, did the keynote. Is that where she had everyone dancing or something? Do you remember that? Were you there? I was there. I know there was a <laughs> lot of dancing at the after party. I don't remember. Okay. There was like a presentation she gave at a conference this year that I thought was that one where she had people dancing during the keynote. I'll have to go back and look at it. It was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, I'll have to definitely check that one out next year. Okay. So what is something that you think that you do exceptionally well in your practice that you're like, why for God's sake is every other accountant I know not doing this? Oh, we talk a lot about, um, doing things in, in higher leverage ways. So, um, if you answer the same question for various clients, 10 times, it means you're missing some sort of resource that you need to be able to send them to. Even if they ask the same question, then at least you have something to send them to. Um, so we're, we talk a lot about building reusable resources. Um, obviously I'm a big video guy. So, uh, you know, no sets of financial statements go out without a three minute explainer video, same with tax returns, like, um, but also video for internal purposes. Like if you're recording a explainer of a certain thing, like, don't say the client's name, don't say the staff person's name in it. And all of a sudden, like that's now an asset that you have for the firm and you can use for training down the road and that sort of thing. So just in general, like reusability of the stuff that we make so that we're not always just explaining reasonable compensation to people until the end of time and stuff like that. Yeah, cool. So you have a pretty big like asset library, so to speak, of internal resources at this point. It's not super organized, but there's a lot of it somewhere. Uh, And that's kind of always been the hard thing is um, like tools like Loom are great for like 
personally putting this thing together. And if you remember that you've got it, then it's easy to go back and find. But like how to do that well in a team environment where stuff's discoverable and all of that, like we haven't cracked the code for that yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it. We've done it in our share file portal. Uh, I've tried using like Screencast-O-Matic to share as a team. And yeah, it gets a little, a little clunky. Um, but I know some firms are moving to the online training platforms to just kind of make it more official, even internally. Yeah. Yeah. Like learning management systems. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. All right. What is one lesson that your job has taught you that you think other people should learn? Um, I think a great thing I've learned from making content and putting it out there is that, um, in general, people don't care about you and what you do until like you can give them a reason to care. Like clients, like if you put out a newsletter or something like that, I think a lot of accountants do this through the lens of, Ooh, here are all the things that I think is important. Uh, and so that subject line may be like, Ooh, oh, here's this new, you know, 401k thing or, or something that's just like very, very dry. And they're like, well, this is important to me. And then 99% of people never look at it because they don't care. They don't, they're not able to connect, connect the dots on why that matters to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, you know, in what I do, and that's a YouTube video or something like that, that's like, oh, we put a couple of weeks of work into this thing and then you put it out and nobody watches it. And it may be the most important thing in the world to you, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if nobody ever watches it. And so accountants are are super anti-clickbait and that whole vibe and all that. And I get it. And it like feels unprofessional and stuff like that. But like at the end of the day, you have to, um, if you want somebody to care about something, you have to like put it in terms that they'll understand and make it really, really obvious why that's something that's relevant to them. Mm -hmm. um, and like, honestly, that's like, one of the great benefits of like tweeting every single day is like when you do that every single day for several years, you realize what things people connect with and what things they don't connect with. And then when it comes to putting out stuff, that's, you know, higher leverage stuff, like an email newsletters, that sort of thing that you want people to actually connect with, you know, what they're going to engage with and what they're not going to engage with. Um, you know, and like, I think the, gr the great example of this, and there's so many examples of this and so many things that we do from email subject lines to the voicemail that you leave for somebody, that sort of thing. But like in the context of a YouTube video, if the title and thumbnail isn't something that resonates with somebody, that could be the best video that's ever been made. Uh, it could completely change their life. But at the end of the day, 99% of people are going to cruise right past it without stopping to look at it. So how do you put like what you do in perspective of like how that becomes valuable for a person? Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? How do you make sure that it's resonating? Do you test like different, you know, topic lines and stuff like that and see like, what are people gravitating towards? It's definitely a learned skill. And so if there's a way where you can do that with a really short feedback loop, that's really valuable. So <clears throat> Twitter or LinkedIn are really good for those. Like, so just try posting something every day and like see what hits and what doesn't hit. Um, <clears throat> so it's definitely learned. That being said, there are a lot of tools that'll let you, you know, A-B test different subject lines and, and stuff like that to actually see what types of things convert better. But like understanding like human attention and what people will engage with and what they won't always 
like there there's this extreme level of um i don't know not getting big for your britches like always always realizing that like these people like don't care about what i have to say unless it's relevant to them unless it's valuable to them like definitely like not falling into the trap of just making things to make things or making things because you think it's cool or something like that like it doesn't matter if no one else will engage with it so it's just a like a muscle that you got to build up over time um i think like a monthly newsletter like that's not a tight enough feedback loop to really learn how to do that thing i think um so just practice like find for me i have like whenever i have a new skill to learn i try to find a way to build it into my process into my habits like when i was first doing video like I had this kind of like weekly feedback thing that I had to do with a bunch of members of the team. And I was like, I'm just going to do it over video. And that's going to ensure that I'm doing like five videos a week. And you mm. do that, you do that for six months or 12 months. Like that's an obligation I have to the team. And at the end of that, I'm probably going to be a lot better at that stuff than I used to be. Mm -hmm. So try to figure out like, what's a way that I could build this skill and then kind of systematize it. Have you had an instance where you were really passionate about a particular thing that you produced and it like totally bombed oh all the time yeah <laughs> oh for sure yeah it's i mean you definitely get better at what you think will hit and what won't hit um and whenever things don't hit it's always for a hundred reasons but don't you want to know what those reasons are like like good or bad like it is what it is but on the other side of that i know more than i did before and i know more than the other person who maybe wouldn't have had the vulnerability to put that out there or put the effort into it, that sort of thing. So yeah, like it happens to everybody. Like we, society now, like everybody does the same thing when they get home at the end of the day. They literally sit there and scroll algorithms of the best of the best of the best of the people who have been doing the thing they're showing off for a really long time. And there's a lot of negatives to that, obviously, but like what you see isn't realistic. Like there's beneath that are a thousand things that people post that you'll never see people that you follow. Like if I post something to Twitter, like by and large, you know, 85% of my followers will never be presented with that in their feed. Mm -hmm. um, so like the whole like notion, like you consuming that algorithm can, can definitely train you to think, Ooh, every single thing has to be perfect. It has to be at the level of all the things that I see when I scroll. When the reality is you need to have the confidence to suck at something for a really long time and do it a bunch uh, before you're going to be at that level because you don't just get up one day and be really good at that thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another um, guy that is pretty competitive with you is Mr. Logan. How did y'all meet? And what is y'all's like little like um, brotherly love uh, romantic? I don't know what's happening between you two, but what what's the deal? Yeah, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's competitive with me. Um, uh, well, but... y'all were competing to get the most followers on <laughs> I mean, Twitter. Yeah, no, that was amazing. That was great. Uh, that was meant. That was just meant to be a dig at Logan that we're competing at different levels. Um, yeah, no. So the whole, but yeah, 10,000 follower thing, he was on Twitter a while before me and it's, we have this, it's just kind of like this bit where we're, you know, constantly at odds and we're not really. And, um, we were, I was closing in on 10,000 followers and I did this stupid overly produced video where I was giving away two nights at David Leary's, uh, Airbnb 
to whoever my 10,000th follower was. And it was just like this super overproduced, like I was trying so hard to get people to follow me kind of thing. And then Logan, so somebody bought, and this is, this is the truth. Somebody bought Logan a whole ton of followers to get him to 10,000 before me. And so it became this like underdog story of like, oh, look at Jason with his production company and trying so hard to do this and that. And then Logan gets the 10,000 first. And it was kind of like the perfect story. But uh, Logan was just one of the first people I met on Twitter. Um, he's just a he's an extremely good looking boy, first and foremost. Um, <laughs> and we just hit it off from the beginning and buddies. And it's it uh, it just took on this uh, kind of like adversarial like a kind of like a like a ryan reynolds hugh jackman feud sort of like uh just kind of this public ongoing feud. i love how you just assume that y'all are like ryan reynolds and hugh jackman. yeah no it's just like that it is okay awesome so are y'all pretty good friends oh i'd say we have a relationship um i don't i don't know uh it's hard to put a label on it but <laughs> we talk quite a bit um, he sends me loom videos quite a bit of him doing something on his computer. And for whatever reason, he doesn't have a shirt on. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's hard. It's hard to put a label on. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Um, what's like, what's a hack that you like to do on a daily basis that it like saves you a ton of time? Uh, having a super amazing wife, uh, that takes That's a, great one. <laughs> a whole lot of things off of my plate. Um, like I've got a number of friends who are women who have young kids that run firms and they're like, this is like, I don't know how people do this. And like, it's such a different experience to like the really like privileged approach I have to being able to like how I set up my life and, and all of that to have that person who's like involved in so much and helpful in so many ways, um, that it's like kind of an objectifying thing to say that like my wife is that hack, but um, having a team uh, for, for like, just having like having kind of the squad and like her being able to manage like so many of those things for me, it's just like anything else in life. Like um, not everybody has that privilege. So you want a better answer than that? No, I think that was the best <laughs> answer I could get, honestly. Okay. I mean, and I agree. I think my husband enables me to do so much more um, than, than I could have without him. And uh, so I, I can definitely uh, empathize with that for sure. Okay. So let's see, what else do I want to pick your brain about today? Um, why don't you tell us a bit more about your community with, in regards to the way that y'all evaluate apps and like, how did that get started? Yeah. So it's just over two years ago. I started a little private community um, and the whole premise of it in the beginning was like, we just needed a more private space than Twitter to collaborate on things. Like if we're all doing the exact same things in parallel, like let's just kind of, and this was like during COVID relief and there were all these things happening where it's like, let's just stop all doing the same things at the same time in parallel. And like, we need a more collaborative approach. Um, <clears throat> and so I think community means a lot of, things these days and there's a lot of different types of communities my community now uh kind of what we've settled into is it is a peer-to-peer -peer community it's not really an education community you're gonna learn stuff 
but the chief aim of the community is to enable connections with other people who do what you do. Because for me, that was always the most valuable thing. Like I, we all sit through webinars and all these things and slide decks until the end of time. The most valuable thing to me was always finding somebody that does a very similar thing to what I do, learning their experiences, learning where they're at, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Like there was no more valuable thing to me than that. And so it's a whole bunch of that. It's, I don't know, 260 firms or something like that. But like the whole premise is like you come in, like you're going to get matched in a, in a mastermind group of other people with very similar firms to you. We have monthly sessions with uh, kind of, you know, thought leaders in the profession, you know, Brandon Hall is an example. You mentioned him. He runs a monthly session and the whole premise is like, not sit down and let me learn you and make you smarter. It's like, sit down, like we're going to have kind of a topic, but it's also just going to be all about the people in the room. And like, we run a bunch of sessions to keep those sessions small and intimate. Like the best version of them is like five to 15 people so that no one can really be anonymous. And like, it's small enough where people hopefully feel safe and being vulnerable and, and, and sharing stuff. But it's also like, you know, we do quarterly show and tells, for each practice management system. So like all the people who are using Canopy can come in and people literally demo their live setups with live client data, show how they do different things, like in a real life production environment. And when 10 people show that off, like everyone comes away with like, oh my gosh, yeah, we could do this or that. And there just isn't really like a place where that exists. Like we all have our software vendors and they give you the sanitized, you know, versions of this and that, but like, put me in a room of people who run firms like mine on the same software as mine. Like I'm going to learn a lot from that. Mm -hmm. So that was the whole premise. It's called realize RLZ.io is just kind of a peer to peer community uh, where we just swap a whole bunch of ideas and steal stuff from each other. Swipe and deploy. All right. I like it. Very cool. Okay. Well, what's the best way for people to contact you after this? Um, my, my mailing address. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm probably most active on Twitter. So Twitter, you'll see me out there. I've got the YouTube channel. I know not everybody's on Twitter, especially these days. Um, but search Jason CPA on YouTube. Honestly, got a really rad community of people on, on YouTube now that are like, getting involved in the comments and talking about what XYZ means to them. And uh, so, yeah, come hang out there. Cool. All right. Um, anything else that you want to share today? Um, should we share our origin story that you teased in the very beginning? Sure. Um, so I think you'd been reaching out to me. This is just perfect. You had reached out to me about something <laughs> and I was like, I don't know who this person is. Stranger danger for whatever reason, I didn't respond. Um, and we were coming up on, it was engaged. Right. And I think I put up my newsletter or something like that. Like, Hey, like any, if any software vendors want to get me an exhibitor badge to get into engage last minute, uh, let's talk. And Jackie reaches out and she's like, Hey, I, I've got something. And it was like a, well, 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 kind of moment because I totally ghosted her before, <laughs> uh, and so Jackie came through for me and we hung out that, that week. And it was, that was where the whole frenemy thing started was, um, I had to come crawling back. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but also like, you're kind of like the king of Twitter and tax Twitter. 
And, you know, I'm really more preferential to Facebook and my group accounting from influencers. Um, and so it's just interesting, like how we've all kind of found our, our places in this world and this crazy industry. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely been really fun getting to know you. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. See ya. listening to the concierge cpa hosted by tax plan iq we believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world if you are a successful accounting firm owner or influencer who would like to be on this program please visit jackiemeyercpa.com j-a-c-k-i-e-m-e-y-e-r-c-p-a.com to apply please share this on social media and rate us so we can continue our good work Join our Facebook group called Accounting Firm Influencers or connect with me on most platforms under Jackie Meyer CPA. Thanks for being accountable to transforming our industry today.